Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be progressive or conservative. We're trying to be faithful Christians in the public square. This is the kingdom. The kingdom. But you know, good and camp. You are listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney. That's me and the West Side Chicago representative, the baddest brother above the Mason Dixon line, the right reverend, Christopher Butler. What's going on, brother? Oh, man, everything, everything, everything. Uh, you know, I, I've been getting some uh, some some pushback on being the West Side Chicago representative now uh, that I, I've crossed over to live it on the South Side as long as I lived on the West Side. So <laughs> what do you claim to be? Man, I'm a Chicago guy. So you're not claiming the West Side. I'm claiming the city. Expansion, okay. expansion. You know, we can we can always edit, you know, we can always edit the, the intro, man. But I, I do want to be accurate. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we'll, we'll just make you the Chicago representative. So let me say that over again. Uh, it's me, Justin Gibney. And it's the Chicago representative, the black <laughs> brother above the Mason-Dixon line, the right reverend, Christopher Butler. But as always, brother, I am happy to be on with you today. Got a lot of good stuff to talk about. What I want to talk about something that a lot of people enjoyed that the Ann campaign did. It was the idea of Dr. C.J. Rhodes, which is we did a live, a live tweet town hall of the Black Church documentary on PBS last week. That was a big event. We kind of all chimed in. We had Lisa Fields on that thing. We had Esau McCauley. Uh, uh, you, myself, and a bunch of other folks uh, 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 chimed in as well, man. And so what were your general thoughts on that documentary and and, and just the, the town hall that we had? Yeah, I, I'm so glad that CJ had that idea uh, to do the, uh, the the live tweet town hall. I was I was encouraged that they did the documentary for sure. Um, you know, it, it was it was great to uh, to take part in it. You know, there, there were certainly some things that they uh, in the documentary got uh, wrong and left out. But when you're trying to cover 400 years of history uh, in, you know, a, a couple nights of documentary, they're going to be challenges with that. But it, it was great uh, to be able to uh, to get on there and uh, share some insights and hear from from all of you guys who I admire so much. So that was it was really dope. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, no documentary is perfect. Uh, this was a long overdue documentary. There's not enough uh, you know, history out there about the the black church. So I think, you know, more of this needs to be done. Uh, I, there was a lot to learn. I think it's certainly worth watching. We had a great back and forth on, on some of it. And, you know, just our, you know, both of our kind of love for uh, the black church tradition and all that goes into it. it. It was a good time. I think, you know, especially in the second episode, I think it, it really came more from more of that academic perspective, mm-hmm. Uh, which misses some of the things that the, the black church represented then and, and kind of represent represented now. There was almost the suggestion that, 
you know, in order for the church to survive, that we would need to kind of go along with uh, some of these postmodern or secular progressive uh, values. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, but I think generally it was it was uh, worth watching. Enjoy going back and forth with all you guys, man. And hopefully we can do that again. And maybe even we'll do some, you know, do a, an event, an online event talking about it even further. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Well, we got a whole lot of stuff to talk about today. So as usual, grab your Bible, get your mind right and prepare to think not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but like a Christian. Let's get into it. So let me start with a scripture. Uh, This is Second Timothy, chapter four, verses four through five. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. In ancient Greece and Rome, one could be punished for not sharing the religious opinions of the state or for not acknowledging what they called the gods of the city. Such was the fate of Socrates in 399 BC. He was convicted of corrupting the youth and not acknowledging the gods of the city, And Plato describes the thought control going on in his classic book, Republic. Christianity came under similar fire for its dissident opinions that disturbed the peace of the empire. In 312 BC, Chinese emperor Quan Shi Huang ordered a bonfire of books of poetry, philosophy, and history as a means of consolidating power. On a black history note, some slaveholders removed Exodus from the Bible to prevent slaves from encountering the Exodus motif, which thankfully was a major historical fail. The government banned the distribution of gay literature in the 50s, a policy that was later overturned by the Supreme Court. Whether we like it or not, words and thoughts are powerful. They change minds, policy, and history. When we venture to control people's thoughts by force or censorship, rather than taking the time and pain of persuading them, we become tyrants. Our country was supposedly built on a different way of going about this. And this is exactly what's happening when it comes to transgender ideology in the West today. People who disagree with it are being censored. There's no real societal discourse uh, on this issue. Elites in academia, business and government have decided what we're supposed to believe. And now they're enforcing it. I learned this weekend, unfortunately, that Amazon has removed Ryan T. Anderson's book. When Harry became Sally, responding to the transgender moment, it has removed that book from its website. And up until now, from what I understand, apparently with no explanation. Now, we've talked about this issue before, and we know that transgenderism is a sensitive subject that must be dealt with with care. In my opinion, the church generally has not dealt with the LGBTQ community with sufficient love, compassion and grace. There were times when they needed us to be welcoming. When they needed us to be support supportive, namely during the AIDS crisis. And we weren't. I believe we need to make an extra effort to make amends. I believe that we need to repent. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not completely in line with how Ryan T. Anderson views uh, the transgender issue, at least when it comes to policies. 
Uh, he doesn't support the Fairness for All Act. Me and Chris have talked about that quite a bit. You know, the Ann campaign does support it because the Ann campaign thinks that basic LGBTQ civil rights is an urgent and important matter. That's something that we really stand up and support, even when some Christians don't agree with our stance on that. Um, and it is important to understand that when we say that society and the church need to show more compassion to LGBTQ people, we're not just talking about in sentiment. We're not just talking talking about with kind thoughts. We're talking about through policy. OK, now, even within these policy disagreements with Ryan T. Anderson, uh, I do think that Anderson is intellectually honest. I do think that he's thoughtful. He's been very courageous in standing in the public square, even to defend traditional marriage. He was one of the first people to do that in a cogent, articulate way. And he got treated pretty badly for it. Uh, I actually had an opportunity to invite him to Vanderbilt University to talk about that very subject. And I was surprised at how many people uh, at that school were really not helpful in, getting, in, in me bringing him there because they just didn't want to talk about it from a biblical position. And these are even people in the theology department and, and you know, religious studies. Uh, and so he, you know, he, he had a hard time with that. And I would like to say that I do not, although we may have policy disagreements, he's not being hateful. Like you should read the book. It's not a hateful book. Um, and so we fully support his ability to say what he wants to say without being punished by secular elites. Now, something else that we have to be clear about is that Amazon is a private company. So this isn't necessarily a matter of freedom of speech, but they do control so much of the book selling market. And they do hold themselves out to be honest brokers. I think it would be a mistake for us to act like this isn't a big deal. I think this would be a mistake to act like this doesn't have some impact on the company's credibility. I think that it does. See, Ryan T. Anderson, and good, again, read the book for yourself. Don't just take my, my uh, uh, opinion for it. But he's not calling for hatred. He's not calling for, for violence. He's not calling for unlawful discrimination. He's making a good faith case against a fairly novel gender identity theory theory that's having a major impact on our children and on our society as a whole. He's arguing against a trend that attempts to dismantle some of the most basic understandings about human existence and replace it with 60 plus new genders with no scientific foundation. Wall Street Journal writer Abigail Schreier wrote a book on the subject entitled Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze That's Seducing Our Daughters. Um, she calls this trend, and, 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 and this is a book that was, for a moment, it was uh, uh, taken off the shelves at Target, but they put it back on. But in this Irreversible Damage book, she calls the trend of transgender surgery a medical scandal. Because what's happening is doctors are conducting gender reassignment surgery to teenagers based on hasty self-diagnosis. So these teens are diagnosing themselves and the doctors are told not to question the self-diagnosis coming from kids who may be dealing with issues that really have nothing to do with gender and eventually will go away. But they're making these irreversible changes to their body. It's something that we should care about. It's something that we should critique. We're seeing a crazy spike in transgender surgery in this trend among high anxiety girls. And this is historically the demographic that's most susceptible to peer contagion. Peer contagion are things like anorexia, cutting, 
uh, and things of that nature. So, for example, this, again, it's a, it's a crazy spike. For example, between 2016 and 2017, the number of young women asking for gender surgery quadrupled in the United States. Quadrupled. It's hard to explain that it's just something that's that's naturally supposed to happen. And it usually happens among friends, which makes it seem more like a trend, more like kind of a peer to peer type thing. Many of these kids and their parents are later regretting the decision, and it's causing even more anxiety and depression, the same things that we said it's supposed to solve. And so to me, and we'll hear from we'll hear from Chris, it sounds like Ryan T. Anderson and Abigail Schreier are right for questioning this culture-shaping ideology. Surprisingly, many feminists and lesbians are fighting against this transgender movement as well. So it should at least be open for debate, in my opinion. Now, what Amazon is doing is what Pope Francis called polite persecution. It's nowhere close to the bloody persecution we see Christians going through in parts of the Middle East and and, and, in those areas. But it is a prime example of why some Christians worry about the direction of Western society in relation to how people with traditional values are treated and how they will be treated in the future. Yes, some of those concerns are overstated. We hear it all the time. But if this doesn't bother you at all, if this doesn't make you see the present of the presence of the threat at all, then maybe you're the one that's indoctrinated. Pope Francis, and you can disagree with him on other issues, but I think that he's created a lot of helpful language around this issue, has already warned Western elites about this type of ideological colonization as they go around the world to Africa, Asia, South America, and all over and impose this view on those people. I would say that, yes, on the right, we need to stop crying wolf about every single thing and acting like we're going through a bloody persecution. But on the left, we need to stop being oblivious to serious threats that as they grow really could hurt the church. Chris, what's your take on uh, this back and forth and what Amazon uh, has done? Well, Justin, I I won't restate much of what you have said, um, but this really makes my blood boil as an advocate for justice. Um, it, It angers me, frankly, because, you know, one, look at the fact that this uh, this censorship um, on the part of Amazon, which, yes, Amazon is a private company, but we'll have another discussion at another time about private companies having so much reach into our culture with no regulation. That's another topic for another time. But I'm going to go ahead and call this censorship because Amazon is so big. And because this just happens to coordinate with the same week where we're going to see Equality Act reintroduced in the House of Representatives. It's hard for me to think that that's completely coincidental. And when you look at this coordination, it is completely deceptive and it drives a kind of division that's really hurtful uh, to a lot of people. Right. So. If you are listening to this uh, or you hear about this and you feel like Amazon deleting this book uh, is some symbol of wokeness and some 
attempt to stand up for oppressed people understand that that is not true. This this whole issue, this this whole way of doing things uh, is trying to convince a young gay black man on the south side of Chicago, convince him to believe that Jeff Bezos and Amazon are more concerned about his personhood and his well-being than the Baptist pastor who runs the food pantry in his neighborhood and who marches for police reform in his city, than the Pentecostal first lady who opened a home for women who've experienced abuse, the imam who has the job training center and the Catholic priest who runs the after-school homework club. They want this young man to believe that those folks are against him in some way. And the reality is that while they may all disagree with you on issues of sexual ethics, none of them has ever or will ever want to see you hungry or abused or homeless or out of work. And Amazon is not doing this to alleviate the burdens of oppressed persons. Amazon is doing this to tickle the fancy of liberal social elites in academia and in Hollywood and in Silicon Valley and in corporate America. Amazon is not in the business of lifting people's burdens and lifting people's state uh, in life. And what adds insult to injury is that these heavy-handed tactics really don't produce outcomes for people. When I was being trained as a community organizer, one of the main things that we were always, you know, kind of trained in and, and made to think about is how do you win real concrete improvements in the lives of people? And these heavy-handed tactics don't produce that. If you think that passing the Equality Act through the House of Representatives and ignoring something like fairness for all is about winning real improvements in the lives of LGBTQ people, then you are mistaken. Go across the rotunda to the Senate. The Senate is about to reject Joe Biden's nominee for budget director. The Senate can't get it together to pass $2,000 COVID relief checks, something that has over 80% uh, popularity in the United States. And the Senate can't do that. So if you think that there's a real shot for Equality Act in this session of the Senate, then you either don't understand how legislation works or you actually don't care if it passes. You're actually more interested in the political posturing and being able to tell all of your wealthy liberal donors uh, how bad the Republicans are and how pure you are and blame everything on them. And at the end of the day, nothing will change for people. LGBTQ people will still be discriminated against in housing and in employment. And this will disproportionately impact those at the lowest end of our economy who will be disproportionately young people of color in cities like Chicago and in Atlanta. And their pain is being used as the backdrop for this ridiculous political melodrama, and, and it, it is angering. If you think for a moment that erasing a book off of Amazon is going to do something to foster peace or understanding in the society, you are just kidding yourselves. You beat bad ideas in conversation, not censorship. You have to make your argument. You have to have a conversation. Do the discourse. This kind of stuff drives people into their corners. It fosters anger. 
um, and division, and it, it doesn't help anything. So this this is this is all fake. This is all show for a lot of people whose economic position and social position allows them to do this ridiculous dance because they're not experiencing the real pain that folks are experiencing every day uh, in in regular life. And and it is is upsetting to me, really. Honestly, it is. Now, I can hear it, man, but you, you made some excellent points. I mean, at the end of the day, this does seem just like another example of the woke capitalism we talk about, the symbolism, the performative theatrics, but none of the substance that people need um, and cutting and trying to cut people out of discourse just isn't the way to go. And I'll be honest with you, Chris, I've been really surprised at how comfortable many progressives are in promoting transgender ideology with such a shallow understanding of what it really is or where it leads. Many times, if you dig even a little bit, uh, you'll find that the understanding usually consists of a couple mindless talking points, like let people live their truth. As if that really means something, right? That's that's really deep. It's like, surely you have something more to say, right? They're injecting puberty blockers into impressionable teens. And that's all you have to say. Some public schools are referring to kids as the opposite sex without telling their parents. And all you have to say, all you can speak into the issue is this flat progressive platitude. It's really embarrassing. And some of us really have the absurd notion in our heads that only conservative conservatives do destructive things. So we give progressives the benefit of the doubt on everything. And when they come up with a proposal or an idea that's dubious at best, that's pure madness at at worst, we simply bow. We simply go along with it. There's too many left-leaning Christians that have uncritically embraced or condoned this ideology because the right influencers or celebrities said it's the compassionate thing to do. But we should really question whether giving malleable 13-year-olds puberty blockers is compassionate at all. Is letting biological males play women's sports the most loving policy that we can come up with? We don't learn to love from secular elites. We learn how to love from Jesus, who didn't equate love with uncritical affirmation. Who didn't equate love with free willing self-expression as if self-expression was the absolute good of society. These things have consequences. They have harmful consequences. So we need to start thinking. Shame on us if we allow a small group of so-called experts with twisted values and a skewed moral compass. To determine what love is from their ivory towers. You know you're in the wrong when in order to maintain your narrative, you got to say that someone who is simply reciting facts is hateful. You know you're in the wrong when in order to maintain your argument or make it work, you got to say that biology and physiology are bigoted. Oh, and check this out, Chris. Guess who's becoming the number one supplier of transgender hormone therapy for teens? Our favorite unassuming and harmless friends at Planned Parenthood. 
the same folks who fund your favorite politicians campaigns. But I wonder, Chris, as, as you know, when it comes to folks who are coming from where we're from. Does it even matter what Planned Parenthood is selling as long as they get a black or brown messenger to support the cause? Sometimes to me, it feels like Planned Parenthood could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and we'd support them as long as they as long as the elected officials who look like us are repeating their talking points. Everybody's so quick to call folks on the other side stupid. But the truth is, we all need to tighten up. This is a game that's being played and it has very serious consequences. And it's a distraction to Chris's point. It's a distraction from some of the other work that really needs to be getting done. Transgender ideology has a lot of holes in it. It stands on a weak and purely subjective foundation. That's why everyone who questions it has to be silenced immediately because it can't stand up to any kind of thoughtful scrutiny. That's why. Not because it's hateful, but you can call something hateful when you don't want to have to defend it. You don't want to have to go back and forth. That said, transgender people have dignity and deserve our compassion. I can't go along with with the ideology when I believe that it'll make hurting people. Eventually, it'll make them hurt worse and further disorder society. I just can't do that. But I will but I will take the feelings and concerns of transgender people seriously and advocate to make sure that they're not mistreated. And that's something that the Anne campaign will do. Now, the world says that that type of nuance is impossible. But I think the Bible begs to differ. Now, this is, again, a very tough subject. It's one it's a subject that you will very quickly get canceled over, that you will take a lot of scrutiny over. And we understand that. So we don't we don't take it lightly. And I and I'm not a prophet. But if the end campaign ever starts getting bullets fired at it and we start really getting attacked, this may very well be the issue we get attacked on. But since this ministry doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. We're going to talk about what we have to talk about. I'm going to go ahead and let Chris get the last word. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll just say that we talk about it because it is it is for real. Like it, it's not just for me. Uh, I, I'm 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 not an advocate against the Equality Act so much as I am an advocate for fairness for all. Uh, I I see in my personal life in the community where I pastor, where where I organize, serve, uh, and live every day, people really hurting. Uh, as, as we deal with some of these issues. And it is why uh, it angers me uh, when this, 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 this kind of liberal elite class uh, takes this up and makes it a pawn uh, in their little game that they play uh, in, in their other world that they live in. Um, and it has so much impact in the one that we live in. Um, it, it, I, I think one thing uh, that is very important here, and, and and maybe a lot of folks, you know, on on, on the left get this right. I, I think that this is about this is about love. But what I would say to to those who are listening to this podcast and and you're living this life and you're trying to figure out how to be faithful in the midst of uh, you know an, an urban environment or an environment where folks are challenging your ideas, right? If this is about love. When did folks in universities and Planned Parenthood and all these places become better experts on love 
than your grandmother. Better experts on compassion than the preacher in your community. Now, this is not to defend. I mean, obviously, uh, there are a lot of people uh, on the right who have gotten this wrong in big ways and for a long time. But I think this is one of the nuances that the AND campaign stands for, and I will just never stop preaching it. Just because they are wrong doesn't make the people on the other side of the issue from them right automatically, right? You can have two folks being wrong in the same conversation. And so we can't just look for who's wrong and get on the opposite extreme from them. We have to search for truth. Um, and, and, and I just don't think that there's a better expert on love in, in my life than, you know, outside of the text of scripture than my own grandmother. You can't tell me that you're a better expert on love and compassion than my granny. And this kind of uh, censorship and lecturing folks on what constitutes love is uh, at, at very best insulting, at very, very best is insulting. Uh, and so I just hope that uh, that Justin, that that we'll keep pushing on this, and that the folks who listen uh, and participate with the end campaign all across this country uh, will just not give up on this. And like that scripture that you referred to at the top uh, in Second Timothy, that we really will endure hardship if we have to, but we can't give up uh, on the truth. Truth and love. Truth and love. Truth has form. It's not just whatever we make it out to be. Uh, And that form is shaped uh, by the word. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you in part by Matthew 5-9 Fellowship, who supports evangelical pastors and leaders in shepherding their communities to live the gospel and place their identity in Jesus Christ above partisanship and societal divisions. Jesus has called his disciples to be peacemakers, and that call is particularly needed in our often toxically polarized society. The Matthew 5-9 Fellowship provides resources to help pastors, leaders, and their communities faithfully navigate difficult issues without dividing over them. It fosters relationship by connecting like-minded evangelical leaders across the country. Also, they care about the personal well-being of pastors and leaders, so they provide space and opportunities to experience spiritual renewal to ensure leaders flourish both privately and publicly. A polarized country needs a peacemaking church. Check us out at matthew59.org. Sign up for our monthly newsletter and download free resources such as our Transcending Toxic Polarization booklet using the code MATTHEW59. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. For those of you who have been following us uh, for a while or supporting us for a while, you know that the AND campaign has been talking about immigration and the need for immigration reform pretty much since we launched. Um, America's current immigration policies and our current immigration system are just a mess. Uh, We saw this very clearly with the family separations at the border, with other inhumane treatment of immigrants. And let's be honest, this didn't just start with Trump. This has been going on for a while. That's a point. And I think he, you know, he did some things that were particularly bad. But a lot of that stuff had been ongoing and we didn't want to hear it. But it's actually the truth. OK, 
On the right, we hear talk about mass deportations and a wall. On the left, we hear talk about open borders and amnesty. Neither side seems to be promoting sensible policies as they feed their bases the red meat that comes out of this issue. Uh, One of the most important questions that I think that we have to ask is what should we do with the people who are already here? Many of whom who have been here for 10, 20 years. Again, the right says we should just deport them all. Easy answer. The left says that we should just uh, give them all amnesty and move on like it never happened. Easy answer. Neither of those answers, though, seem to be realistic or responsible. How can Christians approach this issue with compassion and conviction, with an eye towards social justice and moral order? Some Christian organizations who focus on the immigration dilemma believe that they have come up with a faithful and politically sound answer. And that answer, that solution is restitution based immigration reform. This policy creates a path for immigrants to correct their situations and make right by paying a a fine as restitution for violating immigration laws. It gives them a chance to earn legal citizenship well, not ignoring the fact that the laws, that laws matter and that the laws have been inv- violated and that they need to be enforced. Uh, it call for securing the border and reforming our immigration process uh, that would act in a way that would actually uh, be healthy for economic growth. We're in a situation now where when you have a whole lot of undocumented immigrants, they get taken advantage of, too. When you're not documented, people can treat you any sort of way on the job. You have health care concerns. I'll tell you that, you know, folks in Atlanta, we saw that people are more likely to rob workers who are who who look to be like they're um, undocumented immigrants because they know they're afraid to go to the police. We don't want people in that situation. And so the end campaign is joining the evangelical immigration table uh, and leaders like Gabriel Salguero, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Gabriel Salguero, Dr. Russell Moore, in supporting restitution-based immigration reform and calling Congress to pass it. What are your thoughts on this uh, policy, Chris? Well, you know, I've, I've been uh, looking at this. Certainly, like you said, Justin, we've been talking about uh, immigration uh, reform for for a long time. This is another one of these things that very long overdue uh, in our uh, in our country. Uh, and it's another one of these things where I just feel like we're more into the, the politics of fighting than the politics of finding solutions. Um, and so to the extent that this uh, puts forth a path uh, to a reasonable solution, um, you know, I'm, I'm with it. When, when I read it, you know, a couple of things that I observe. One, uh, this is not even rocket science. Like this is, uh, I'm glad to see a group of evangelical leaders uh, standing up and endorsing this basic framework uh, for immigration reform. But I mean, a lot of immigration advocates have been um, putting forth very similar uh, frameworks for a long time. And, and it, it's it's past due uh, time that we... Uh, that we get something like this done, uh, that the current state of things, again, like issues we talk about on this show all the time, is hurting people, is hurting the country. It's costing us $4 million every night to 
to house detained uh, immigrants. Uh, you have um, families being separated. And, and so I'm glad to see evangelical leaders uh, who are, um, you know, pro-family, at least they should be, uh, step up and say, let's end a, an approach to public policy that's destroying families because nobody uh, who is a, a biblical Christian should ever uh, be able to support something like that. So I think this is great. I, I, I will say, looking over it, um, you know, there's there's language in this about uh, uh, fairness for, to taxpayers. Um, and I'm all about fairness to taxpayers. Um I, I hope that as as a as a group we can continue to move forward that idea because uh, I do think there are uh, again you know another topic for another time but I think there are, uh, there is a community of people uh, in America uh, who are getting over on taxpayers uh, and I don't think that it's the immigrant community uh, first in line on that front but uh, this is this is solid public policy. Um, you know, it, it is the kind of thing when I read it, it just doesn't seem like rocket science. It seems like one of those things uh, that our approach to politics and policy uh, prevents us from doing very basic, humane and decent, almost obvious things of right, obvious to right thinking people that we should do. But our, our, our politics, uh, our approach to politics and policy prevents us from doing things uh, that that will improve the lives of people. Um, we, I almost feel like, Justin, that we have given up on being in policy and politics to fight for people and for ideas, and that everybody's more concerned about fighting against um, people and fighting against other people's ideas. And, and so I, I feel good if I defeated somebody, even if I didn't actually help anybody in the process. No, that's good, Chris. I mean, and to your point, this statement probably would look different if we wrote it. But it's not about it looking exactly like the Ann campaign would want it to look right. It's about coming together, thinking through an issue and trying to make it a nonpartisan issue, which means there may be some things that are going to be articulated that speak to folks who are further on the left. Then there may be some things that are going to be that are articulated that speak to folks who are a little further on the on the on the right. We have to be willing to do that if you want to get things done. Uh, and, and, and I want you know our listeners to start looking at politics that way. Not that I, the narrative has to perfectly be what I want it to be, but to say, hey, this is getting some very serious work done. And I think it's important because, again, this should not be a partisan issue. So if you want to learn more about what's going on here, you can go to evangelicalimmigrationtable.com. Uh, you'll see what's, what's moving forward. Congress needs to act on this. Uh, everybody's afraid you got you put in office to get things passed, to do what's best for the American people. Do your job. You're not just there for the sake of self-preservation. And we saw when somebody like Marco Rubio sticks his neck out to try to work with people on the other side when it comes to immigration, folks try to cut his head off. And if you see your party doing stuff like that, make sure that you push back. Make sure that you're finding way to, ways to incentivize people who are trying to do the right thing. Anything else, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just uh, reinforce what you just said, Justin. Like, we have to start doing that with our elected officials. You can't allow your, your congressperson, your senator, to come home and give you a long list of stuff that they made sure didn't happen in a session of Congress. 
right? We got to start asking our elected officials to give us the list of things that they actually made sure did happen because our government and our politics right now is designed to make sure that nothing happens. And if you're rich and, uh, you know, living in one of these elite bubbles, that's okay for you. But for those who are actually experiencing pain and difficulty in their day-to-day lives, this kind of stalemate does not work. Uh, And so we have to start, you know, really putting pressure on our elected officials to tell us what concrete things that we get done. Don't just tell me how you, you know, beat back the Republicans if you're a Democrat or you beat back the Democrats if you're a Republican. Exactly, exactly. We got one more break and then we will be back. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the And Campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the And Campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction. The And Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement that we publish with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility, this is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. We are back on the Church Politics Podcast with one more issue to address. Uh, We all know that it's been freezing in America. We know that uh, Chris almost didn't even make it to the uh, podcast last week because of how cold, cold and snowy it is in Chicago. But in places like Texas, who rarely see low temperatures and rarely see that type of ice and snow, they really struggled. And I know I've been sending prayers up to the folks in uh, Texas because I know they've had a hard time with losing power and all the things that went on with that. It's caused a lot of problems in many different states. Now, in Portland, when a grocery store lost power, it had to throw away a whole bunch of perishable items, packaged meats, cheese, whole turkeys, racks of ribs and juice and so on. Some people who knew they were throwing those things away gathered near the store in hopes of salvaging some of the food. And instead of letting these people have some of the food, the grocery store actually called the police and sent police officers to guard the dumpster uh, while the food rotted. At least that's the uh, narrative of, of some of the uh, uh, of folks who have been spoken to uh, about it. Now, it seems like the police would have better things to do. Uh, some of the uh, store employees did say that they felt like the situation might escalate to physical confrontation, and that's why they had to do that. But that doesn't ex- ex- necessarily explain why they're guarding the food. Um, just you know, to give the perspective from the the grocery store, they they responded to the criticism by saying that they donate five million pounds worth of food each year, and they said that they guarded the food because they were afraid that the residents would try to consume it and that they would get sick because some of it was already spoiled. Weigh in on this for me, Chris. Well, I have two different uh, approaches to this. One uh, is that 
you know, I think maybe more grocery stores need to have uh, a PR person on hand because that just seems ridiculous uh, to, to make that decision to guard uh, food um, that that you're throwing away. Maybe post a disclaimer on the dumpster or something like that, uh, because that that just seems silly to me. It seems silly uh, to uh, have, you know, folks in the police department, some kind of commanding officer, even responding police uh, who might not be able to, I don't know, just think a little bit more creatively about what we're doing here in terms of guarding the food. I mean, I want to be very careful about uh, passing too much judgment on this because I'm, I wasn't there. I don't know uh, the details of what happened and maybe more of that will become uh apparent to us in, 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 in days to come. Uh, but it, it, it seems like a silly thing uh, to me on, on one front. Um, but then a, a little bit more seriously and critically, I think it is a little bit um, emblematic of something that, uh, uh, again, I guess I've been mentioning throughout this, this show. And if I was in the in the pulpit, I would say that, you know, Holy Spirit won't let me get off of this. Uh, but it's this the same idea of, you know, I have to guard my space. I have to make sure that they don't do X, Y, Z uh, versus thinking uh, with the kind of moral imagination about how can we um, how can we help people? Right. So maybe you didn't have the idea to give the food away. Uh, maybe these folks were, uh, you know, going to eat some food that was bad. But they, there was just no moral imagination here. How can we help? Um, so all of those things are there. And, and I will say something that maybe won't be too popular uh, with some folks. But I will say um, that while everything that I said I 100% agree with what I just said. You you have to consider that we are talking about Portland. We are talking about one of the cities uh, that did see uh, in recent times some very unhelpful approaches uh, to struggling for justice uh, and equity. Um, and so I'm not saying that that stuff was the cause um, of of this. I think the cause of it was silliness. But you can see where the where the response line goes to immediately. Where we thought it might escalate, uh, you know, we thought it might become something else. And and we cannot deny that there were folks in Portland uh, and you know the country over who spent a summer feeding that narrative. Um, and this is why in the summer of 2020, Justin, you and I were uh, willing and I continue to be willing to point out that there are ways to uh, to struggle for so-called struggle for justice um, that are ultimately unhelpful. Uh, and I think this is uh, a little piece of evidence uh, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, you make a really, really good point about the PR. I mean, to come back and say we did it because we didn't want them to get sick. I mean, I think folks who get something that's been thrown out know that they run the risk of it actually being spoiled. And, and it's not like they can come back to you and say, hey, I bought this from you and you gave it, gave me something this way. No, it was thrown out. Like there's no liability when you throw something out and, and people are trying to get to it. You know, some people could say, well, there was a, you know, they didn't want people to get it because if they could get it out the trash, they wouldn't have to buy it from them the next day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. there's a lot of things that go into it. It just seems to your point, 
there was a better way to go about this, calling the police and that escalates things, right? Like calling the police in this situation, the police coming and threatening to arrest people who are trying to get food out of it. It's just not necessary. And so I think it goes to show that we all have a role to play in making sure that things don't escalate and in making sure that, you know, we don't create conflicts that just don't have to happen. Uh, if, if somebody grabs a turkey or some ribs that are about to spoil, is that really something that we should be guarding against? Again, I don't think any, you know, they're not breaking the law for doing this. There may be an ethics question there, but let's just be a little more thoughtful. I think there are, there are better ways to go about it. And that, yeah, that PR attempt was, uh, it was cute, but uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not sure I'm buying it. But as you say, Chris, we weren't there. So anyway, man, Chris, as usual, man, good conversation. I think uh, this is going to be an interesting week coming up. So hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, as usual, and camp, there is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, man, Cam. I'll let you. Oh, Lord, I said, Kingdom.